0: Uh, thinking about, we're going to be talking about the soils and we're going to talk about the parable of the, of the sower. It really got me thinking about um, this question that I've ever, I've ever thought every once in a while. And maybe you have too. Have you ever wondered really why the majority of people in the world don't seem to necessarily really embrace or welcome the message of Jesus? I mean, I think we're very well aware of that. That's no shock. That's, that's no surprise. But think about it. Think about it. The good news of the gospel is that God sent his one and only son to die for your sins and for mine so that we can be completely forgiven and that we can have an intimate relationship with the God of the universe. And also we can experience his power. We can experience his goodness and his grace and we can live forever in his presence. That's the message. But the reality is, though, most people don't want anything to do with that. They just don't. It's not a popular thing. It's not something that the world necessarily embraces. And why is that? Why is it that we really feel like oftentimes if you're a follower of Jesus, you feel like you are really in the minority of things? And, this, and when you want to share your faith, it's often, it's scary. You know, we get, you know, sweaty palms and sweaty armpits when we want to talk to people about Jesus, because we know oftentimes it's not going to be, think, well, tell me more. We know that there's going to be oftentimes opposition. I mean, think about it. If you were to tell uh, a non-believing friend of yours, hey, I got a million dollars I want to give you. I want to give you a million bucks. Okay, and Once they were convinced that it was for, for, for real and they were really going to do it, they would likely be thrilled to take that million dollars, right? Heck yeah, I'll take that. But if you were asked that same friend, if they, wa- if they wanted what we just talked about, what I just talked about the relationship with Jesus is like, chances are likely, at least initially, that they will decline that. That they, wa- that they will not want that. And why is that? Why is it that a message that seems so incredible, so wonderful, so like mind-blowing, why is it that people decline that? I mean, to us sometimes it seems like, how could you not want what I have? Have you ever had that before where you're thinking about a friend or a family member and you're just longing for them to have what you have? just longing for them to understand what it means to be totally forgiven, to be free of guilt, to be free of shame, to be able to experience the power of Christ in your life. Not to be all perfect and rosy, but to be able to live in the midst of your brokenness with a loving God that just loves you no matter what, right? In the midst of that. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? When we want, to, we want people to get that, but it's just not a message that's palatable to our world. So often, people don't want that. Well, in today's passage, Jesus is going to help us to really understand why. He's going to help us understand why people resist this amazing message that so many of us have. And in doing so, what he's going to do is really give us some encouragement as his followers to continue to share the good news of the kingdom of God, despite the fears that we have and despite the resistance that we encounter. So this morning, like I said, we're going to be looking at the parable of the sower. That's what we've come to in our study of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 13 verses 1 to 23. So let's just dive right in. Let's start by looking at the first three verses. It says, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and a great crowd gathered about him, so that he got into the boat and sat down. The whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables. We'll stop right there. So we see here that Jesus leaves this house that he's been teaching in, and this huge crowd, by this time in Jesus' ministry, just huge crowds were following him wherever he goes. So he goes, and he sits down by the Sea of Galilee, and there he goes, and he sits in a boat to get a little separation from the people, and it says he teaches them many things in parables what is a parable? Really, what is a parable? And even more importantly, why did Jesus choose to teach in par- parables? We're, st- we're entering now a really a large section where we're going to start seeing Jesus doing a lot of his teaching in parables, and we're going to understand why as we look through this. So real quickly on parables. Parables, technically, a parable is a story that comes alongside a truth in order to illustrate that truth. Okay, that's what a parable is. And Jesus' use of parables typically had a twofold purpose, as you'll see up there. To reveal the truth to those who wanted to know it, and to conceal the truth from those who were indifferent or people that had no interest whatsoever in him. You see, Jesus used parables, believe it or not, to actually hide the meaning from those who chose to reject him. Seems wild, huh? But he also used them to clarify or even give a fuller meaning and understanding to people who already believed in him. Now, we may ask, why would Jesus speak in a way that doesn't make sense to some people? Why would he speak in a way that actually conceals the truth to people doesn't make any sense it seems to go against his mission of bringing restoration to everybody you'd think that he would speak in completely clear words that he would bring it right down to where the people could understand it seems odd well the answer is yes teaching in parables was a great way to further enlighten people that already got it say it's kind of like this and oh okay that makes sense so it makes sense to, it makes sense to them do that, yet they also really, what these parables, when he taught in parables, did, it, sure, it served to show this dire consequences of people hardening their hearts to the message of the gospel, okay? To people that were closed off from the gospel, it really was, it showed about what their dire desperation and how much, how much they need God. So we kind of use them in this way. Okay, you see, Jesus is looking, what, what Jesus is looking for, he's looking for people to hunt, come to him that are truly interested in his message. See, Jesus wasn't about, hey, come to me, I got some great flowery speech for you. I got to tell you, as a pastor, <clears throat> as a preacher, we, we, we are insecure. Because we go like, man, if I could just have, because li- the problem is we listen to other preachers on the radio. Okay. These golden tongue guys or women. And we listen to them and we go, I I just, I have to say it like that or the people aren't going to get it. Jesus wasn't interested in that. He wasn't interested in making sure people, whoa, do you hear how he speaks? He uses those language. He wasn't interested in that. He didn't want people just to throng around him for entertainment purposes. He didn't want to be that guy. That's why so often he told people after he healed them, shh, don't tell anybody I did this, you know, because it's going to be a sideshow. He didn't want that to happen at all. He he, he wanted, then this is what was happening. The crowds were starting to follow him because they were starting to get a wind of this amazing stuff that he was saying. So that's why he starts speaking in parables. He doesn't want that, he doesn't want to be a sideshow. So let's look at this parable. This, we're going to read it, the whole beginning part of the parable, and then he explains it later in verses, the second part of verse 3 and verse 9. It says this, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on the good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now you have to imagine what's What these people in the crowd were thinking here, okay? They've come from all over. This is probably a huge crowd that have come from all sorts of neighboring villages, and they wanted to hear what Jesus was going to say because he had been saying some pretty amazing things. You know, we've looked at those things, some pretty jaw dropping things, some things that were absolutely mind blowing, nothing like they had ever heard before. Remember, people were saying, hey, we've never heard somebody talk like this before. So here they are, ready to listen to Jesus. And what do they hear on this occasion? really essentially it seems like they're getting a gardening lesson really if you think about it if you take out of what you already know about this story it's kind of like a gardening lesson they're getting here can you imagine the confused looks on their face I mean they lived in a country where this they had okay they got that and they're probably going yeah uh yeah yeah because you can imagine there had to be questions there had to be people wondering what's going on and so the disciples right away after Jesus I don't know if he paused or if he was done but the disciples take no time in approaching Jesus with a question of their own look at verse 10 then the disciples came to him came and said to him why do you speak to them in parables it's like the disciples are saying why are you teaching like this this is crazy. Why don't you just say what you want to say plainly so that everybody can understand what you're saying? This makes no sense. Why are you doing this? Jesus goes on and tells them why. Look at the next verse. Verse 11, he says, and he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. So Jesus starts his explanation here by essentially telling them that the deeper secrets of the kingdom or the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven aren't for everybody to hear and understand. He's saying that they're only understood by those people that have already been revealed to, that they've already understanding it. You see, the disciples, they were privy to information about Jesus that the crowd didn't have. They'd been around him all the time. Day and night, they'd been following him. And these disciples, by God's grace, had been given a deeper understanding of the things of the kingdom of heaven, the secrets and the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. The crowd had no idea what he was talking about. And here's the cool thing that very same grace has been shown to you and to me. We have that same grace for those of us that have accepted this free gift of salvation by God's grace, not by anything, but I don't care how much you've studied. I don't care how much Greek or Hebrew you've memorized or whatever. By God's grace, well, those of us that have placed our trust in Jesus have been given the ability to see and to hear and to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. True understanding. This is, what we, this is what we've been given, this true understanding of what life is about, what peace really, how you really find peace, how you really have eternal joy. We've been given, we're privy to that kind of stuff. That's amazing. I hope that excites you to the fact that not that you're in some insider club that no one gets in but if you're in you're in on an amazing thing <laughs> the god of the universe has re- is has revealed and will continue to reveal because you opened your heart to him these amazing secrets and these amazing mysteries of the world of the of the kingdom of god that the world just can't understand i hope that just blows your mind I hope that makes you so thankful for the place that you are in. That same grace, we have it. Now he goes on to say, though, we have a responsibility to act upon that truth that we hear. That's why Jesus says what he says in verse 12. Look at what he says. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Wow, that is a weird, weird sentence right there. What is that? What's he talking about? Well, What he, Jesus is saying here is that once you have truly started on a spiritual journey, okay, once you've started, once you've opened your heart to who, to who God is, once you've opened your heart to giving your life to Christ, understanding of this truth is meant to grow. It's meant to keep going. But he's also saying to those that don't accept it, to the people, anybody that said, you know what, I hear what you're saying, I don't want it. I'm not interested in that. What he's saying to them, the message of the, of the kingdom is they're going to remain in ignorance to that. They're not going to understand it. It's not going to be possible for them to understand it. And eventually, they'll even lose everything, is what he's saying. You see, spiritually speaking, a person either gains or loses Okay, Either a person advances in their spiritual walk or they decline or they retreat in it. In other words, to truly know Jesus means to grow and progress in knowledge and in love and in holiness and in joy and so on. I hope that excites you about your walk because when you know Jesus, you can know that you never get to a place where you arrive here. It's supposed to get better. You're supposed to understand God more and keep growing. Now, notice I didn't say life's gonna get easier. Uh uh-uh, uh. Uh uh. But the joy of the the learning more of what it really is secrets of joy, the secrets of peace, the peace, the secrets of contentment, they grow, they continue to grow in us it's like, it's like learning a language. How many of you have learned another language? I don't mean two years of Spanish in high school. I mean, how many of you actually have actively tried to learn a second language? All right. Typically Americans, four of you. Um, <laughs> if you've ever traveled, it's amazing how much the rest of the world all knows English and we're stuck. <laughs> but, um, I've had to learn two languages. I've lived in two different countries, tried to learn the the languages. Not good at learning languages. Not good. I was in in language school in Germany, and I was in language school in the Dominican Republic. So two vastly different languages. But I see how it works there. If you've ever tried to learn, in order to keep learning the nuances of this language, you got to what? You got to practice it. You have to keep using it. You have to keep going along because once you stop using it, you not only stop learning, but you actually begin to what? You'll end to forget. By the time I left the Dominican Republic after living there, I was ha- my wife and I were having a somewhat conversation with a Dominican pastor in Spanish in our living room. That could never happen now. Hola you know, like, I, mean, I, I, I was just in Ger- on vacation a couple weeks ago And we part of our vacation we were in Germany And some stuff came back But I had lived there for four and a half years And I was pretty okay at German Which is a brutal language by the way Joke for you Do you know what the language is that we're going to speak in heaven? It's German because it takes an eternity to learn That's I'm um, Not even in the notes um, but that's what he's saying. It's kind of like that with, with, with spirituality. The same is true. The more we lean into God, the more that we draw near to the Lord, the more we experience his goodness, the more we experience his grace. And the more we experience the goodness we crave for, it. we start to crave it more and more. Have you ever found yourself doing that? You lean into God or God brings you something and you experience his grace and goodness and you go, I want more of that, you know? I was going to say spiritual crack, but I want more of that. I want, I got to have more. And that's how it works. When we lean into God, we want more and more and more. Yet the opposite is also true. The further that we drift away from the Lord or the more we decide I don't want him and reject him, the less that we're going to experience his goodness and really can find ourselves coming to a place where we lose any desire for him whatsoever. I don't know about you, but I know people like that. I've seen people like that. It's heartbreaking. Excited about the Lord. And then drift, drift, drift. That might be you in this. That might be you this morning. And that's okay. We're so, I'm so glad you're here because hopefully this will be an encouragement and a challenge to you a little bit. So now Jesus goes on. What he goes on, he's still explaining why he does this. He goes on to link teaching in parables to the people's condition as announced in the Old Testament prophecy. Look at verses 13 to 15. He says this. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people, his heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Once again, really confusing, really bizarre language there. If it doesn't make sense when you look at it, it made absolutely none to me when I first read it myself. It's really difficult. But what Jesus is doing here in these verses is he's comparing the unresponsiveness of the people in this crowd that are following him, the unresponsiveness to his message, to the unresponsiveness of the people of Israel in the Old Testament to the prophet Isaiah's message to turn from their rebellion, to turn from their wickedness, to turn from their wicked ways. Commentator Douglas Sean O'Donnell says this. This really helped me out. He says this. For those spiritually calcified by persistent disbelief and disobedience, God's word in Isaiah's prophecies and Christ's parables serves only to increase their blindness and deafness. Ouch. So what Jesus is saying is that parables actually conceal facts about his identity and mission from people that absolutely refuse to believe in him to them really they're they're nothing more than these unsolvable riddles what is he saying it makes no sense in truth what is going on what he's saying here is this is the punishment for disbelief you can't just go around saying i don't okay i don't want i don't want it God wants people that really want him. So the punishment of that, the result of that is, I don't understand. Not understanding at all. Yet for those who seek to know him, and to submit to his lordship over their lives, these secrets and these mysteries of the kingdom are, he's saying here, they're revealed and their lives are radically changed. So when we say yes to the Lord, what that does, it opens up a floodgate of understanding and the ability to be able to understand God. That's why a lot of people will tell you that aren't followers of Jesus will say, I don't get it. Right. I don't, it makes perfect sense that you don't get all this other stuff. And then we go into trying to explain to them all this other stuff thinking, oh yeah, if I just say the right words, they'll totally get it. If we explain all these theological concepts and we forget, and we're going to see how really we forget to just talk to them about Jesus and keep it there, the amazing message of Jesus. Don't try to convince someone that doesn't understand about God about these theological concepts about God. You're wasting your breath is what he's saying here. Not that they're dumb, or not that they're bad, or anything like that. It's just not spiritually possible. They're reaping the results of saying no to God. That's what He's saying. It's not, and it's God not be, not God's not being mean. He's being fair. He's being true to who He is. Okay. Now here we, we're going to keep moving on here and there. It's even more because there's even more good news that he's saying is for people that actually do seek him out. If you do want to seek him out, check out. There's a little more good stuff. Look at look what he says in verses 16 and 17. He says, "But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not." hear it. Jesus is saying it's here that his disciples, what's going on is they are absolutely blessed to be privy to what he is, to see and understand all that who Jesus really is. They're getting this inside look that other people are not getting. They are incredibly blessed, what he's telling them. You're incredibly blessed to be alive at this moment in time. You do not realize how amazing it is for you to be alive right now when God is ushering in the kingdom through the life and the work of Jesus. He said, once what was, once was hidden is still hidden to those who refuse to believe in Jesus, yet to those who believe that he is who he says he is comes this ability to see things and to hear things that really the saints of old, these people that we read about, that um, Pablo was even talking about. By the way, thank you, Pablo, for being here. I have to tell everybody thank you for... Um, but all these great people that we sing about, we hear about, we read about, they, they only got a small little glimpse. It's, he's saying here they longed to truly understand the whole picture. We got the whole picture. We, we got the whole picture. More than Abraham, Isaac, Moses, all these great biblical people, we have a major advantage over them. We got the whole story. We got it all. But only... Only as we seek him. Our problem in America is we have so much freedom to know. We sometimes go, oh, I'll pick and choose. I don't want to know. I don't want to, know what, you know, I we don't realize how good we have it by having all of this. So really, to me what this does is really begs a question when I think about this. As those who the secrets, those of us at whom the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been revealed, how should we respond then? How should we respond to this incredible insight that we have been given, that we've been given, besides just being amazed by it? Really, the answer, and many of you understand this, and I hear and see it, and the way you pray and the way you sing, is extreme gratitude. Extreme gratitude. Gratitude that though you were once blind to the things of the kingdom, you now see them. You were once deaf, to understand the things of the Bible and the things of God's Word, and now you understand them. Not everything, but you're growing and growing and growing. Gratitude. Are you grateful? Do you find yourself grateful when you're singing songs or listening to music or reading the Word or just driving around going, I am privy to God's grace in a way that is amazing. (laughs) It's amazing. Not that I'm in this club that I don't want anybody in. Actually, I want everybody in. But oh my gosh, I'm in. That's amazing. And that should spur us on to want, let's get more people into this. This is an amazing thing. The membership, we got to get the membership up in this club. That's, That's what it should do to us. Now, Here's the thing. For those that are not seeing or not hearing and understanding this message, this message of the gospel, they're not understanding. This parable, what it does is it serves as a wake-up call. It really is a wake-up call, not to say you're not in. It's a wake-up call to say, listen to the truth. Open your heart, open yourselves to the truth. I mean, you may not be able to hear and understand the secrets or the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but you can come to understand that the only way to unlock those secrets is to surrender your life to Jesus. To surrender control of your life completely over to him, that's the key. Not getting all this knowledge, not cleaning up your act, not stop doing bad things or start doing good things, uh uh-uh opening your life to Jesus. That's what does it. Then the mysteries and the secrets of the kingdom of the God of the universe. I mean, I don't know how many of you can remember that. I don't know how many of you can remember when you became a believer, if you were older, especially such you weren't a little kid, and all of a sudden you became a believer, and the learning, you started going, the things you began to learn that you never could have comprehended before, you just, whoa. That's what he's talking about here. Now, to make sure his disciples completely understand how this all works, now Jesus goes on to explain the parable, okay? All that, (laughs) you understand, he wanted, you know, Jesus was a master communicator. It wasn't like, well, you guys don't understand, here it is. First, let me help you. Let me help you see the big picture here. Okay, here we go. Now, let me explain it. But before we do that, uh, get into his explanation, it's important that we point out three key elements, okay? I know many of you know this, but this might be a refresher uh, for some. The first is the sower, okay? We're going to see that there's a sower. Remember in verse 3, Jesus said that the sower went out to sow, or for some of you in your versions, it says a farmer, now, you'll notice that the identity of the sower or the farmer isn't identified. It doesn't say God went out and sowed seed, Jesus went out, and, you know. It, does, it doesn't say that. Uh, and really, likely, that's intentional because the reality is that the sower represents anyone who tells about the message of the kingdom of Jesus. Anybody. Anyone who tells others the good news of Jesus as the kingdom is a sower, okay? Sower sower ministry. We've heard of that. Um, now, next one is the seed, okay? The seed symbolizes the message of the kingdom of heaven, okay? Or the good news of the gospel. That's what the seed is. Then we have these four different soils, okay? And here's what the soils represent. The soils represent four different heart responses to the message of the kingdom, okay? They're heart responses to the message of the kingdom. Now, it's important to note That the focus here is not on the sower, okay? That's not the focus. And the sower is not in the seed either. That's not where it goes. The focus is on the four different types of soil. The heart responses to the message of the kingdom of heaven. Here's the idea here I want you to see. And I put it up for, for you. Is that the reception of God's word and its subsequent bearing of fruit is determined by the condition of the heart. Okay, this is what determines whether there's going to actually it's going to take root It's going to grow and things are going to come about like we're going to see here Now notice that in every case you're going to see that this person heard the message is heard. Okay They've heard the message. So what truly matters is what comes after Okay, this is what we're looking at after the seed has been sown. So let's start by looking at verses 18 and 19. Okay He says Hear then the parable of the sower When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Okay, this first type of soil, this is the well-worn path that was talked about in verse four, where the seed really would have no opportunity to penetrate the ground, and the results would be that the birds would swoop in. This is the footpath that people have been walking along, okay? Birds would swoop, it, swoop in and snatch it away. We talked about this a few weeks ago uh, when we talked about how the danger of hardening your heart. Remember the last sermon we talked about, whether you're in or you're out? Are you full in? Are you totally in? Are are there's no neutrality, no neutral ground with Jesus? That's what he's talking about here. Sometimes the more we say no, the no, no, no to the message of the gospel, our heart gets harder and harder and harder. And this represents just like the birds come in, Satan comes in and snatches it away. Second type of soil, verse 20 and 21. And for, for what was sown in the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word And immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away." All right. So this is a soil from back in verse five where there was little or no rather, little or really just thin soil so that when the seed actually springs up due to the lack of depth and the inability to take root and to find moisture, the heat of the sun just bakes it. It just scorches it and it says it withers and it dies. And just seeing the situation, look, it actually seems hopeful, doesn't it? Whoa, boom! Look I'm I'm excited. This is this is good stuff. I'm gonna grow. Yay! Awesome. Yet the enthusiasm is based on a spur of the motion, spur of the moment, emotional response, not in deep inner conviction. See, this is the why the people were these were kind of excited about Jesus, weren't they? Where were the crowds when he was being crucified? I mean, it was exciting for a while. It wasn't exciting anymore. So it's, a, it's, it's, not, it's, not, a, it's not an inner conviction. So when, what happens when the initial feelings go away and when the realities of what it really means to be a follower of Jesus become apparent, like denying yourself, so sacrifice, serving, suffering for Christ, it's like poof, falling away. By the way, I don't know about you, as I was studying this and as I'm even reading it right now, faces and names and people come into my mind. Not in a judgmental way, but in a way of going, oh yeah, I know people like that. I have family members like that. This is a great opportunity when we think about these things in the soil. It's good to know where the people around us, the soil that we've at least seen, and we can tell so we can pray. So you can really pray for them in a in a really appropriate way. Okay, so where are we at? The truth, so what's going on here is really the true test of whether someone is truly a follower of Jesus is not whether they may, we all know people, most, many of us do at least, know people that got excited and, and made an initial response. This is the day I prayed this prayer to receive Jesus into my heart. We know people like, we know people like that. And what he's saying is, it's not about that. It's not about, okay, you're in now. That's what it it takes. It's whether you continue to follow Jesus, not just for a time, not just for a short little while, but for the entire span of life, despite the difficulties and the persecution that you encounter from following Christ. I can't tell many people I know like this, been in ministry, especially working with the young people I worked with for so many years we'd go to camp. I was a camp junkie. I loved taking kids on trips and camps, and there would always be this emotional, a lot of times, whoa, look what, and they would, be this emotional response, and we were excited for that, and that was great, but then I would really start to, those, but then I'd really start to get concerned. Okay, got to pray for them. Really need to pray because it was this emotional thing. But then often you would see they'd get back home and mom and dad are fighting or they're getting at them or their friends are telling them, what the heck are you talking about? And they get back caught back in. It's like, I can't do this. It's heartbreaking, but that's what he's talking about. That's the kind of soil he's talking about here. Now, in teaching about persecution, Jesus, that's, Jesus even said, listen, persecution's going to come. And look what he says in Matt. We looked at this in Matthew. He says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And that's not. he's not saying the one who pulls himself up by his bootstraps will be saved. No, it's the one who leans, like we talked about, leans into Jesus when, and leans into fellow believers when times are really hard and we're feeling like, what have I gotten myself into it? Does this whole Christian thing even make sense? Because there's nothing wrong with doubting your faith. Don't stone me right now. There's nothing wrong. God's not like Ooh, how could you doubt? My goodness. God's not, God's so much bigger than that. He doesn't, he doesn't get tripped out about our our doubts and things like that. But what we need to do when we have those doubts is let's wrestle with them in an appropriate way. Let's talk to someone else. Let's read the scripture. Let's ask someone to help us with that stuff. That's all he wants. That's what he's saying. Be practical uh, about it. Okay. Third type of soil is a heart of a heart response is found in verse 22 as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Now this, this soil isn't necessarily bad soil. Okay. It's not bad soil. It just happens to have competition present already. All right. There's competition already in this soil. What is it? Thorns. There's thorns there, which end up, it springs up, and they end up just choking out the plant. See, what this soil describes is the person who is overly concerned with the things of this world. Specifically, what these words are talking about is wealth and possessions. Something none of us in the Bay Area struggle with at all, all I know. So hopefully the podcast will go overseas for this, okay? It's so so easy. Something, and this is something Jesus spoke about. He spoke about money and possessions so much. Remember, he said, you can't serve both God and, what are you saying, wealth and possessions. Why? It's because one or the other will inevitably be master over you. There's no two ways about it. One of those is going to be the master of us. You can't serve them both. The idea here is that we can easily be deceived in the thinking that the pursuit of wealth or the pursuit of possessions will lead to ultimate fulfillment. And I'm not talking about being bajillionaires or having big mansions. It's just, I got to get comfortable. I, as long as, once, once, once we're financially comfortable, things will be good. That's what he's talking about here. Once I have all the right stuff, the right home, the right thing, we're going to be, in my mind, then we're going to be good. That's what he's talking about. Those are the weeds. Those are the weeds that he's talking about. It's not just the bajillionaires. It's those of us that crave to have something more in order to be content when it comes to finances and possessions. That's what he's talking about here. Proverbs eleven twenty-eight: whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will, will, here we go, flourish like a green leaf. Okay. He's not talking about the poor. He's talking about the righteous, those that are seeking God. Letting him take care of the rest. Okay. Let's look at the final one. The final heart response to the message in our last verse, uh, the response to the message is this. He says in verse 23, as for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, in another 30. So here we see, in contrast to the other three soils here, we have this good soil, which we're told here produces, what these terms are, is amazing harvest and like uber crazy amazing harvest. That's what he's saying the good soil can do. Now the person who hears and understands is the person who doesn't simply just intellectually grasp the truth of the kingdom. I think that's where we get stuck sometimes, thinking, if I could just get that person to understand what I'm talking about. It's not, an, it's not an intellectual understanding that he's talking about. This is a person who takes time and in their heart, and they reflect on what they've heard. They allow it to penetrate their heart and therefore enable them to produce this harvest. A harvest doesn't come from just the knowledge. The head knowledge doesn't produce that. If anything, a lot of times the head knowledge just prevents us because it's all about what I know up here and not in here, which is what God wants to change here, then here. Okay, This means that we will exhibit. What he's talking about here is this production of fruit, this harvest. What it means here is that we'll exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, selfish, selflessness, self-control. All these things we will be able to exhibit in our life not just right here, but we will grow. Like we talked about, remember, we will grow in those areas. I don't know about you. I need to grow in my patience, my kindness, my goodness, gentleness, and my self-control. I need to grow, and God wants to grow us in those areas. That's the beauty, and we have the, the insight to the mystery and the secrets that allow that to happen that's God's word. That's what it does. It helps us to, we're this, also this fruit and this harvest is about living in obedience to God's will and to the commands of Christ. We want to do them. We long to do them. You see, the reality is that we prove that we are Jesus's disciple when we bear these kinds of fruit. Look what Psalm said. I, this is a great verse. Psalm, Psalm chapter one, verses one through three. I really believe that puts it best. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, in God's word, okay? And in the law, in God's word, he meditates day and night, and therefore, what? He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yield their fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. That's a harvest. That's what comes out of a plant could be planted in the good soil. So, in answering my original question, we see from this parable that the reason so many people reject or want have nothing to do with the message of the kingdom of heaven is due to the responsiveness, the responsiveness or the condition of their heart. Really what this parable is, it's a warning to all of those who have heard the gospel, that have heard the good news of Christ, the kingdom of heaven, yet have said, you know what? I don't want it, okay? I don't want to have have part of that. And here's the danger. The danger in that is, like we talked about in the last time we looked at Matthew, is that heart can become more and more callous, that we simply Don't want anything to do with it at all, even more so. Don't even talk to me about it. That's a spiritual reality. If you're someone here in this room that's been saying no, 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 constantly, let me let me I want to encourage you and challenge you. The Bible says that you're doing something to your heart, it's becoming more. And more callous. That doesn't mean you're impenetrable, but it just becomes harder to really receive what God has for you. Okay, but what that can teach those of us who are followers of Jesus, well, this parable does teach us that those of us that have seen and heard and now understand the message of the kingdom of heaven... What I thought just say I believe this is an encouragement for us to not lose heart in sharing the good news of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus promised that there will be a harvest. There will be a harvest. I want you to hear this I love this I like this commentary of William Barclay. He says this. He says, "No farmer expects every single seed that is sown to germinate and bring forth fruit." Farmers know quite well that some of the, some will be blown away by the wind, and some will fall in places where it cannot grow. But that does not stop them sowing, nor does it make them give up hope of the harvest. They sow in confidence that even if some of the seed is wasted, nonetheless, the harvest will certainly come. I really believe, you guys, this parable and these words right here should empower us to not be afraid to share our faith. Our responsibility really is to pray for boldness and speak from a heart of love. That's what we need to do. God, help, give me strength. I'm scared to do this. But God, give me boldness and let me just speak the truth in love. We don't, need to, we don't need to be obsessed. How often do we get obsessed? Saying, I want to say the right words. I want to use the right tract. I want to use the right thing. Just say, no, don't worry about that. It's not about just saying the right words or worrying whether this person's going to get saved or not. That's God's job. That's his job to do that. We need just to pray for boldness and then share it out of love. You guys, let's not lose heart in sowing the seeds of the kingdom of heaven the truth is you never know what type of soil it's landing on. You just don't know. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it encourages us and challenges us. And like it's done this morning, I know in my heart. And I just pray, God, that this parable of the sower, God, would truly embolden us to be willing to share our faith, even though we know that we will be oftentimes facing opposition or even um, people um, giving us a real hard time. But God, I just pray, God, that you would give us the boldness. We have been given the secrets of this mystery of the kingdom of heaven. How can we not share it, God? Help us to be bold. Show Give us boldness. Give us the words that you want us to say, but not to worry Show us how to go out into the harvest and to sow seeds where you desire us. Lead us and guide us in this. We desperately need it to be your leading, Jesus. And it's your name we pray. Amen.